Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm very glad that you've tuned in to listen. Before we jump into our study, the subject of this podcast, I just want to kind of talk a little bit about uh, what's coming up on Sunday, uh, get, get you excited for it, hopefully, or, or concerned about it, or however you might approach this subject. We're going to talk about not giving God credit for things that He didn't do. You know, so very often, people that claim some form of faith in Jehovah God will often say that He does things that He really didn't do. And it is a very popular belief that God either completely controls or in some way manipulates the affairs of this world to accomplish His will. And therefore, a lot of times people see God at work when He's really not at work. So however you listen to this podcast, um, the most popular ways that it's listened to are on Apple Podcast, on Podbean, and on Spotify. There are a few people that listen on iHeartRadio, a few people that listen on Amazon Music, very few people that listen on Rumble and YouTube. Uh, uh, I'm going to keep putting it up on YouTube because one of my dear brothers in Christ uh, that I look forward to talking to, as a matter of fact, I think a couple of brethren down in the Dominican uh, Republic, um, you know, shout out here to Gaudi and and Carlos and uh, other saints down there. Gaudi, I'm looking forward to talking to you on on Saturday. It's been a few weeks since we've had our conversation over Skype. Looking forward to talking to you. I know Gaudi likes to listen to uh, this podcast on YouTube, so I'm going to keep it going. But m- most people listen on Apple, Spotify, uh, and and uh, Podbean. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that that you're enjoying the podcast. Thankful for some of the feedback uh, that I've gotten. Sunday's podcast is going to challenge a lot of people. Um, Things that are taught very frequently and often that are wrong are going to be addressed in that podcast from the scriptures, not not from uh, Opinionville. Uh, So I wanted to talk about that uh, real briefly, just to let you know that that is coming up, Uh, that'll be on Sunday. Today, what we're going to talk about is the difference between individual and church actions. Uh, Back in about 1992 or 1993, I I was in a Bible class. The teacher's name was Larry, and the way he uh, taught the Bible class, um, and I was a student uh, uh, in that class discussion period, is he would tell us, you know, what we're going to prepare to discuss the next week, and he expected us to come in equipped to have that discussion. And one particular question uh, he brought up, and he said, I I want you to show uh, the work of the church in evangelism. So, you know, many of us came in with scriptures, and, and I don't remember the whole conversation. If, you, if you, you know me personally, you know I'm not remembering much of the details from 1992 or 1993. But in that class was the first time that I was hit uh, with the particular subject that we're going to talk about. Um, we, we brought up verses, and Larry, the teacher, he started asking, well, who's that verse apply to? And, you know, some of us in the class are just kind of dumbfounded a little bit, but it got me to thinking. And we got to studying and looking at, you know, 
something is written to the saints in Colossae, that doesn't mean that it applies to all the Christians in that congregation or the congregation as a whole, that within epistles that may be written to congregations, there are individual uh, instructions and there are instructions that apply to the whole, and then there are instructions that apply to some and so forth and so on. And, and I really wasn't hit with that before. Well, so we took uh, what was taught in that class, and unfortunately, um, that congregation uh, did some things that were unscriptural. One of them is they had men meet on a regular basis and discuss the quote-unquote business of the church, something you, you don't read about in the New Testament the way that it was done in that congregation. But nonetheless, just for the sake of, of this podcast, I'll just leave it general, and that's not our subject today. Um, so we're talking about something that the congregation as a whole was engaging in, and I took some of the information that we had discussed in that Bible class, and I brought it up, and I said, you know, do we really have authority as a congregation to do what we're about to do? And I was kind of smacked down. I, I was a young in the faith, and now young in the flesh, so I was kind of smacked down in that uh, that that meeting, and. The answer uh, to, to the question I was given was, look, was, look uh, Aquila and Priscilla did this, and uh, there's our authority to do it. And I said, well, Aquila and Priscilla aren't a congregation. They're a husband and a wife. And because they did it might mean that, you know, a husband and a wife can do it, but that doesn't mean the church can do it. And, and then I, I got this answer. There's no difference. If... A Christian can do it. The church can do it. What's the church? The church is made up of Christians. And I was kind of answered in a way like, hey, you're dumb. You don't know what you're talking about. And unfortunately, I was young and I dropped it. And um, I, I didn't bring it back up and I didn't think about it uh, immediately. But then over the years, started re-raising that question and started studying the Bible for myself instead of just accepting the answers of men. Well, years later, I, I was preaching here in, in El Paso, Texas, and uh, met with a group of elders in a congregation near the Austin, Texas uh, area, drove down there and talked to them about some things that they were doing with an institution called Florida College. And in that discussion, the, these kind of things came came up as well, and I asked him, I said, you know, Colossians 3.17 uh, says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, or do all by the authority of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him, and their answer was, that's written to the church. It doesn't apply to the individual, and, and I said, okay, well, you know, I've heard thousands of times at this point that I'm having this discussion, I've heard thousands of times Whatever the individual can do, the church can do. Uh, but now the logic was kind of being turned a little bit. You know, well, this is written to the church, and therefore it doesn't apply uh, to the individual. And I said, well, 
your answer doesn't contextually fit. I mean, verse 18 of Colossians 3 says, Wives, submit unto your own husbands as fit in the Lord. And verse 19, Husband, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Verse 20, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing in the Lord. And on and on. Uh, you know, th those are clearly instructions that apply to individuals. And I don't understand why you're thinking that Colossians 3.17 is just isolated. Yes, the letter to the church in Colossae, uh, it, it was there. It was also to be read to the church in Laodicea. If you look down at Colossians 4 and verse 16, when the epistle was read among you, so the epistle was read in the assembly. It says also that it to be, ought to be read in the church of the Laodiceans, and likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So yes, it's read in the assembly. It's addressed to the assembly, but there's individual instructions in there. And, and you know, Colossians 3.17 applies to, 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 to us individually and collectively. I mean, we're to follow the authority of Christ. Jesus is the head of the church, so forth and so on. We got into this long discussion. Well, it, it's funny how people just play with scriptures. That doesn't apply to me. It applies to us. No, it doesn't apply to us. It applies to me. Or, hey, every instruction is about the church. And th th there's no difference. And, and sometimes I wonder if people don't understand what the church is. I mean, I've heard preachers many, many years uh, into the past, going back in the 90s when I was a babe in Christ, they would talk about the Greek word ekklesia, and, and they would define it as the called out. Well, dictionaries that I've looked at don't begin and end with that. I mean, you know, if you look at Thayer's, and, and listen, I'm not saying that a, a, a lexicon is the standard of authority. Matter of fact, Thayer's definition of the word church has some things wrong in it. Um, let, let me give it to you, and we'll just talk about that too as we go forward. If, if you've listened to my podcast, uh, you know that you know I, I will define words, but we also go to the Bible and use the Bible as its own dictionary and own commentary. I've been doing that for a great number of years. Um, you know, just a kind of another side note, I got an email the other day and someone said, I, I, I wish you would do more podcasts. I love listening to them. You know, if you like listening to this podcast, if you go to my website, wordsoftruth.net, I have audio sermons about hundred, like five over 500 audio sermons on the website. I would have more, but I had a website uh, crashed, and some of the files that, that I had are, are corrupt, and I haven't been able to put them uh, back up. But many, many years of, of sermons, so you can listen to that. If you listen to this podcast or those sermons, you'll, you'll see I'm going to use the Bible uh, to define terms uh, and, and a dictionary as an aid, but the dictionary not being the standard, the Bible being the standard. So the word ecclesia in the Greek, if you're using uh, Strong's Concordance or, or Thayer, like, like I'm going to use, it's Strong's number 1577, and it means a gathering of citizens called out, and no, it doesn't stop there, called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly, it continues, an assembly of the people convened at the public place of the council for the purpose of deliberating, the assembly of the Israelites, any gathering or throng of men assembled by chance tumultuously in a Christian sense, an assembly of Christians gathered for worship in a religious meeting, a company of Christian or of those who, hoping for eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, observe their own religious rites 
hold their own religious meetings and manage their own affairs according to regulations prescribed for the body for order's sake. Those who anywhere in a city, village, constitute such a company and are united into one body. The whole body of Christians scattered throughout the earth and the assembly of faithful Christians already dead and received into heaven. Now listen, parts of that definition are a bit, bit off. That last part of the definition, way off. There is nobody currently assembled in the eternal heaven. Uh, when a person dies, they go to Hades, either to paradise or torment. You can see that in Luke 16, 19 through 31. Jesus with the thief on the cross in Luke 23, 39 through 43. In verse 43, he said, Today shall thou be with me in paradise. When we look at the eternal heaven, the place where God, our Father, uh, His Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the angels are, that's our, for the faithful children of God, future home. That happens after the judgment day, Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Or if you read the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, specifically verses 35 through 57, it's not until the end that the body is changed. Same thing is taught in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 13 through 18. So you can see right there, Thayer is not the standard. He's wrong. He has that part of the definition incorrect. I know the verse that um, and, and, and we'll talk about it here in just a moment. In fact, it, likely the, the Thayer, when he gives this definition, he's thinking of Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. I'm going to read that to you and we'll talk about it here in just a moment. But uh, the idea from the definition of the Greek word is an assembly. I mean, like you could look at the, the meeting of your local city council or our our officials in federal government, Congress, and you call that a church. It's an assembly. I mean, that's really the simple form of the word. Well, if you take that Strong's number 1577 and, and you look at verses that use that passage, much of what Thayer said is correct. Like in Acts 2.47, it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So the assembly of saved people, right? Um, sometimes people will say that's the universal church. Um, I, I get what people mean by that. But you know, in Acts 2, at the time Acts 2 occurred, uh, not when it was written. Acts 2 is, or the book of Acts, is a second epistle to a believer named Theophilus. Luke is the first epistle. At the time the events of Acts 2 occurred, there was only one congregation on earth, and it was in Jerusalem. But to come back to the, to the word usage, it, it could be used in the assembly of saved people. And Acts 11 and verse 26 says, When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch and came to pass, as Barnabas and Paul, uh, contextually, if you're going to kind of go back and read who is talking uh, there, uh, Barnabas came to Tarsus to seek uh, Paul or Saul. Acts eleven twenty six came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. In Acts 14 and verse 23, you can see uh, where... They had ordained them elders in every church, I mean, like every assembly, every congregation, the church that may be here in this city and another congregation in, 
that city. And it says, and they had prayed with fasting, and they commended them to the Lord, and they believed. In Acts 14, 27, when they were come and gathered the church together, so they assembled, right? They rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he opened the door of faith under the Gentiles. Hebrews 12, 22 and 23, which I would imagine is what Thayer had in mind, says, you're coming to Mount Zion under the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, that's in reference to Christ being the firstborn from the dead, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect. So the names are written in heaven. They're not in heaven. Uh, but when we're talking about the church, you could be talking about the saved, people that uh, are in Christ, uh, um, that have the hope of eternal life, or those that have died and are awaiting the resurrection, like we talk about in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. In a general sense, just an assembly that doesn't even have anything to do with the faith or Christ. Uh, in Acts 19, you see this three times. Verse 32, some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused and the more part knew not where they were come together. That's the same Greek word, ecclesia. Just translated their assembly. Uh, it's a mob. Uh, in verse 39, if you inquire anything concerning other matters, it should be determined in a lawful assembly, so a courtroom type assembly. And then in verse 41, when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. Not the, the word church in the way that most people would think about it. It was a whole different type of assembly, but it's the same Greek word. So when we're looking at it, it's an assembly. Of course, as we mean it in this lesson, and as it is generally talked about among people that are or believe themselves to be Christians, we're talking about the church, where you have it in the sense of the body of Christ, uh, whether local or in the sense of all the saved. Um, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says, put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth in all law. So the idea of the body of Christ, of which has many members. In Romans 12, 4 and 5, for we as many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body, yet being many are one body. So also is Christ. And then in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 12, now there are many members, yet but one body. And then the, the term uh, whole church uh, is used in, in the Bible too, which is very clear because that's showing you everybody's assembled. If you'll recall, if you've ever studied Acts 15, there was a problem in Antioch uh, where certain Judaizing teachers had come down and, and bound circumcision and parts of the law of Moses. And Paul and Barnabas came and reported it to the church in Jerusalem, to the elders, etc. And they had a discussion. Well, in Acts 15, 22, it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas and Silas, chief men among the brethren. So when, when you're looking at that, the whole church is involved. Uh, the one time uh, I received a letter, and it was from a, a quote-unquote church, and 
the letterhead said that, and we and us were used regularly in the letter, and it was a letter telling me that uh, they did not agree with uh, something I was teaching uh, about the error of Florida College, the existence of human organizations such as Florida College. And in this letter, it was written from the church. Well, some time had passed, and somebody came here to El Paso and, and was visiting with the congregation. And I was asking them, you know, aren't you from this congregation? And, oh, yeah, yeah, we're from that congregation. I said, well, you've been members of that congregation for a long time, right? Yeah, yeah. And they had assembled here before, so I knew they were. So I was a bit perplexed. And I said, you know, you guys wrote me a letter saying that I was not faithful to the Word of God, and these two people that are members of that church that wrote me that letter were completely unaware of what I was talking about. Well, come to find out, the preacher of that congregation, whom I understand now is an elder, was the one that wrote the letter, and he thought he would speak on behalf of the church, so he addressed it to me from the church. The members, the church, weren't even aware, that had no idea of what was going on, and therein you have the problem. People thinking that one person is the church, or two people is the church. In Acts 15, it's meant the whole church. In 1 Corinthians 14, 23, context dealing with the abuse of spiritual gifts, says if therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers will not say that they are mad. That's a very clear language. The whole church, every member in one place, the assembly. So we have some terms that are a little vague, and you've got to be able to look in the context. You have other terms that are very clear and, and are very specific. Uh, but when people hear the word church, for some odd reason, they don't think about, let, let me go to the context of the Bible and see what we're talking about. Let me make some things rather clear. Uh, sometimes they just think the individual is the church. Like, I'm the church. No, you're not the church. When individuals are talked about in the scriptures, it's not, you're the church. Uh, there are different terms that apply to people who are followers of Christ. Before the church was even established, we see some of those terms that carried over, like the word disciple. Uh, when Jesus was put to death, and Matthew 27, 57 says, when the evening has come, there was a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who himself was Jesus' disciple. In Acts 9.26, after the church is established, says when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So you got the plural, the singular in the English here in the King James Version, and Saul here is Paul, if you, if you uh, likely are aware of this, if you listen to this podcast, prior to the Apostle Paul being called Paul. He's referred to in the scriptures as Saul, but his name is uh, his same individual. You can see that in Acts 13 and verse 9. Uh, in other texts, the word saint is used. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. So there you've got singular and plural, right? Not trying to turn this into an English lesson, but I'm a saint. If I had a few brethren here with me, and I don't. Uh, right now, I'm, 
I'm in my home with, with the company only of my dog, Boomer, and uh, I'm actually sitting at my desk, and he is sitting here next to me being a very good dog. Uh, right now, I'm a saint, but if Katrina and Trey were home, I, I could say, you know, I'm here among the saints, right? I mean, that's not real hard to figure out, but if Katrina and Trey were here, who are all members of the same congregation that I'm a member of, would I be saying, the church is here? No, no, I, I wouldn't be saying that. Saints are here. We see brother used, like in Colossians 4, 9, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Notice how he didn't say with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved church. No, he's pulling Onesimus out from the collective, right? Verse goes on, they shall make known unto all things which are done here. In Romans uh, 16 and verse 1, the word sister, I commend you to Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centria, pulling out the individual sister from the collective body. In 1 Peter 4, 16, the word Christian, um, like we, we've already uh, briefly talked about how, you know, they were called Christians first in Antioch, Acts 11 and verse 26. Christian, Christians, I mean, it's the least used term to define individuals in the Bible. But in 1 Peter 4, 16, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. If a Christian suffers, that doesn't mean the whole church has suffered. And I want you to stay with me here. Please listen through everything we're going to talk about. Because if it's not becoming clear to you, I assure you, it's going to become abundantly clear here momentarily. Now, when we look at the Scriptures, there are also times where there are plural disciples, but not necessarily the whole entire congregation isn't mentioned. Uh, like in Acts eleven twenty nine, then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren which dwelt in Judea. I want to present an idea to you, and then I'm going to prove it here momentarily. Could there be multiple brethren involved, a plurality, and not the whole church? We're going to see, yes, yes, that is the possible. So you'll have an individual Christian sometimes, or you'll have a group of Christians, but not necessarily the whole church. Then you have the whole church, um, and context has to find that. Uh, excuse me one second here. Sorry that this happened. Hello? It's a telemarketer. I'm sorry that I uh, interrupted that. Uh, back to my point, I think I was in 1 Corinthians 16, 1. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. The saints, plural. Um, the church in Corinth is told to take up a collection for the poor saints. If you go over and you read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, you will see there that Paul is going to send Titus and other messengers to collect the funds that the Corinthians were told to uh, gather for the poor saints uh, that were in Jerusalem, but that doesn't necessarily mean the whole church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Plural terminology, but not necessarily talking about or to the whole uh, church. Uh, when, when we look at 
these types of statements, we have to step back and say, who's, who's being talked about in the context? As, as we read forward, who's being talked about? When Paul says something in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and, and verse 13, uh, where he says, all the saints salute you. Is he saying all the churches salute you? No, no, all the saints, people that he's, he's with and among and around, and which often wasn't a whole congregation. Think about when Paul's in prison or he's traveling with multiple brethren, uh, etc. So we, we don't always want to just throw the word church out there. Now, let me get make this real specific. And I want you to notice how the Bible, it, it, it just really clears this up in the verses that we're about to uh, look at. And, and I wish that I would have understood this fully back in 1992 because I dropped it. And since I dropped it, I kind of was led into some errors uh, in the 90s that had I understood the principle that we're about to see very clearly, I wouldn't have been led into. Um, I would have seen it more distinctly. So there's a difference between one Christian, multiple Christians, and then the whole church being in action. Notice Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. This is abundantly clear. It's really unmistakable. It says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. That's very clear, isn't it? That there's a Christian that commits a transgression against an individual Christian. Go and talk to him, you two alone. Okay? Individual. I have the responsibility then in that situation as an individual Christian to go and talk to my brother or sister alone. If they won't hear me, then you have what I'm going to call concurrent action, where multiple brethren get involved. I take two or three witnesses that every word may be established. And we go and talk to this particular individual. The church still is not involved. It's not the church. It's, you know, four Christians or five Christians involved but not the church. Then, if neglected to hear, go and tell it to the church. Do you see that? I want you to take time and digest. That's not very hard to understand. It's very simple, right? Now, let me give you another one. And, and this, this next example, I think most people are aware of Matthew 18, 15 through 17 but they don't think it through. This next example brought me out of several errors. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 16. And it's talking about how to care for widows, and it makes some differentiation between widows, those that are widows 
that are young, those, some terminology that we're going to talk about, widows indeed, excuse me again, uh, one second, hello, yes sir, listen, I'm in the middle of a podcast, it, it, do you, do, are you wanting to talk about the Bible, will you be available in say 30, 45 minutes, can I call you back at this number, sure, Right, I appreciate it. I will call you back as soon as I'm done recording this podcast. Thank you very much. Sorry about that. Uh, so we're First Timothy chapter five verses three through sixteen. Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them first to show piety at home and to requite their parents. For that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed, and desolate, and trusteth in God, and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. But if any provide not for his own. So here you have an individual, right? Especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So if I have a widow to take care of, that is my responsibility, right? Now, you can't say, well, but if you can do it as a Christian, the church can do it. Well, why can't you say that? Because notice, the text goes on, let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. Well reported of for good works. If she had brought up children, if she had lost strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she diligently followed every good work. You hear that? Let her not be taken into the number. What's that going to mean? You're going to see as we read through this context, that means that the church be not charged, the collective, all the body be not charged with this responsibility. Well, the text goes on, but the younger widows refuse. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they cast off their first faith. And with all, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers, also busybodies, speaking things which ought not. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth, have widows, let them relieve them. Okay, so here is, again, back like verse 8, individual action. If you're a believer and you have widows, you take care of them. And it says, let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. Remember, the widows indeed are those that are over 60, the wife of one man, well reported of good works, etc., right? Do you see the separation between the individual and the church here? If I have a widow, she's first my responsibility. I don't go to my brethren and make that our responsibility. She's my responsibility. I have to take care of her as an individual Christian. I don't burden the entire congregation with that. Now, folks, between Matthew 18, 15 through 17... And 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16, it's just really impossible for a reasonable person to miss this. It really is. And when, when you looked at uh, Matthew 18, 15 through 17, you see when somebody sins against me, it's my individual responsibility to go to them first. 
before I include multiple brethren and before I then include the whole church. If I have widows in First Timothy 5, I have a widow in my family, I need to take care of her, not uh, bring, bring it uh, before the church, even when she's a believer and everything else. Let, let me make a side note. Do you know how many churches out there have budgets of all these people that they take care of? People that are of the world, that are outside of Christ, that don't care about Christ at all, and the church is funding them in various ways under terms like benevolence or this ministry or that ministry. Do you realize that 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16 puts a strict restriction? I, I, this is one of those texts that led me out of an error um, because there was a time where I was part of a uh, congregation where uh, if somebody came and said, I had a need, the congregation would meet that need with food or whatever from, from the collective funds, from, from all the saints. And then, and then it dawned on me, wait a minute. The Lord says for the church to be charged, a woman has to meet all these qualifications. So the church would have to reject a 55-year-old faithful Christian widow, but we can give from the collection of the saints to an atheist? Folks, come on, doesn't this bring some challenges to your mind? Not only the separation between the church and the individual and the responsibilities contained therein, but the work of the church as, as a whole? Now, let me come back to my subject. That was a little side note there. When a brother is lost, even if it's not a sin against me personally, Matthew 18, 15 through 17 is talking about somebody trespassed against you, and you know they've done something wrong. My, my brother stole something from me, right? Well, James 5, 19 through 20 is talking about an individual work and restoring a brother, that's not even necessarily a sin against them. It says, brethren, if any man you do, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, I don't know how you get clearer than that. The church isn't involved. This is one, one person, right? Let him know that he which converted the sinner from there his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. I have an individual responsibility of helping to restore a lost brother. Well, how many people, though, put that on the church? The church, meaning the collective body, ought to be restoring the Christians. Well, what about my responsibility? You know, part of this doctrine is the I gave at the office mentality, meaning I showed up on Sunday, I put money in the plate. Now, church, you take care of it. And by church, they don't even mean their involvement beyond dropping money in a plate and showing up on a Sunday. They mean elders or preachers or deacons, yeah, it's your job. Or somebody else's job because I gave it the office mentality is there. That's the institutional mindset uh, that's there that, you know, I'm part of an organization, in this case the church, and the church is going to do my work. No. You have work to do. Don't you see that in James 5, 19 and 20? When it comes to widows in James 1, 27, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit, that is to look after, uh, to inspect. That, that's not write a check to an organization, whether it be the local church or not. To, to visit to, is, you know, I need to relieve them. I need to look on them. I need to inspect them. Thayer says to examine with eyes at Strong's number 1980. Like when Jesus... In Matthew 25, 36, he says, I was naked and you clothed me, sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. That's what we're talking about with 
visited or visit that term that is there when the term same Greek term is used in Acts 15 36 some days after Paul said to the Barnabas let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we've preached the word of the Lord and see how they do he's not saying let us write a check to the church and the church send a letter or whatever people do to visit. So pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. This is talking to me, not the church. It's talking to you, not the church. Now, it may be read in the assembly, but the responsibility falls on the individual. You've got to be able to see that if you're a reasonable person, right? Logic and reason has to be used. You have to be able to reason. You remember in Acts 17, 2, Paul, as his manner is, went into them in three Sabbath days, reason with them out of the scriptures. Are you reasonable? To be mature, do you have the ability to discern? In Hebrews chapter 5, one of the problems, one of the reasons the Hebrew writer couldn't continue teaching things about Christ that he wanted to contextually he says in Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one, one, one again teach you which be the first principles of the oracles of God and become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You, you thought about that? You think about that? Everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. But strong meat. So if you're going to be a mature Christian, belongs to those that are of full age that are able to reason, to discern. Hmm. So let's do this for a minute. Let, let's, let's put our reasoning together. Let's think about some instructions uh, that are given. The book of Ephesians, written to the saints which are at Ephesus. Okay? Ephesians 4.28. Is this church collectively, or is it to the individual Christian? It says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give him that needeth. You can see this, right? Who goes out and gets a job? The church? Collectively? What's that resume look like? We, the church at blah, 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 have these skills? You go apply for a job at Amazon. Your resume say the church at the top? No. Is this an indictment on the whole church? Is everybody in the church at Ephesus former thieves? No. You can reason it out, right? Same letter, Ephesians 6, 5-9. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling, and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as man-pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall receive the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters... Do the same thing unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is respect of persons with him. There were slaves in the congregation in Ephesus. There were masters in the congregation in Ephesus. Aren't they given individual instructions here? Is that saying the whole church, indicating the whole church were slaves and masters? You can reason through that, right? 
And James 1.26, if any man among you, what's that do? It pulls the individual from among the collective. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridled not his tongue, but sees in his heart, this man's religion in vain. And by the way, verse 27, which is used by a lot of churches for why they set up and build orphan homes and all these other things, is the next verse. It's written to an individual Christian. It's the responsibility is to the individual Christian. Not, and, and, he, and even this, you know, so often... A little, another little side point. So often there have been discussions about who should support the orphan home. Listen, folks, the orphan home shouldn't exist. It's not about who should support it. The responsibility to look after the fatherless and the widow doesn't mean go and start an organization. It doesn't mean hand this off to the church as a whole. It means you like the principle in Galatians 6.10, as you have opportunity, you are supposed to visit, to look after, to inspect, to look upon, right? But in my past, it was always taught the church, the church, the church. And discussions I've had, people will say, don't you see this is the church? And James 2.2 2, James 2, 2 is talking about the assembly. Yeah, James 2 is talking about something that happens in, in the assembly. Sure, it does. But James 1.26-27 pulls the individual out from the assembly. I, I don't think that a reasonable person is going to have a hard time understanding that. It seems to be pretty clear. I'll come back to the book of James uh, here in, in a little bit with another individual instruction. Well, before we do that, I want to talk about a couple other. Let's reason from the scriptures. Philemon is a member of a congregation that assembles in his home. Philemon 1, 1 and 2 says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Epiphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Just because a congregation met in Philemon's house, does that mean that the letter is written to the whole church? No. No. As you read, Paul is beseeching the individual, Philemon. Philemon 1 verse 9. He's talking to him. He's wanting Onesimus, an escaped slave, to be received back by Philemon and to be entreated as a brother. And he's expecting Philemon to also show some hospitality, Paul is, when Paul gets to Philemon. You can see that, right? There are instances where there's multiple individuals at work, but not the work of the whole congregation. Like in Titus 2, 3 through 5, the aged women likewise, that they be in behaviors, becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. So saying, hey, I'm writing this to the older women, that they may teach the younger women. So I'm now, now we're talking about the young women, not the whole congregation, right? The old women, the young women. 
The old women are to teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers of home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Written to two groups, older, younger, sisters. Then go on the context, young men are addressed, etc. Prior to that, the aged men, Titus 2.2. Well, recently... Pull this over here. Recently, by recently, I mean in, on April 7th, I received an email by a man that uh, puts himself forth as a preacher of the gospel. And he got himself into a Bible discussion and he was looking for some help. So he wrote me and asked me for some help. And in the email that he wrote me, and this is actually uh, when I decided that I wanted to do this podcast. He said, in part, I'm just pulling out part of what he wrote to me. He says, the church has the authority to go out into all the world and teach. And he cites Mark 16 and 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Here's a great example of somebody not understanding the difference between the church and the individual. Who's talked to in Mark 16? The, the command that I'm assuming he's referencing, he says the whole chapter, but based on his statement, the church has authority to go out into all the world and teach. He's talking about Mark 16 15 and 16, or he's probably not talking about down through verse 20. I don't, most people don't reference more than verse 16 because they want to apply it like it applies today in the same way that it did then, but it doesn't. Mark 16, 15, he said unto them, said unto them well, who's the them? He said unto them, go into all the world. So according to this man that says he's a preacher, them would be the church. He said to them, Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, he that believeth not shall be damned. The context goes on. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. And after the Lord had spoken unto them, who's them? Must be multiple congregations sitting here listening to Jesus, right? Because this instruction is to the church according to this preacher. Says he received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they, must be multiple congregations, went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the world or confirming the word with signs following. So what congregations are Jesus talking about? You know what it says in Mark 16, 14? He appeared unto the eleven. Judas at this point has killed himself. Mark 16, 15 through 20, he's talking to the 11, his disciples, his apostles. He sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. This preacher doesn't realize that, does he? You know why? He's part of a group of people that only know sections of Scripture. I am very confident because I've had multiple conversations with this individual that he has never 
studied the book of Mark or this whole chapter. And he is like that with most things that he's corresponding. I don't know why I've corrected him a whole bunch of times and he still writes me for help. Uh, it's really frustrating, actually. Um, I keep trying to teach him, though, with all long suffering and doctrine, right? It's not written to the church. It's not talking about the church. What about the other verse that he brought up? Brought up 2 Timothy 2 2. Brought up 2 Timothy 2 2. You know what 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2 says? And the things thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same thou commit to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. How's this confirmed? The church has the authority to go out unto all the world and teach. How, how's that? Do you know who 2 Timothy 2 2 is written to? To Timothy. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 2, whom Paul calls his beloved son. It's not written to a congregation. It's written to an evangelist. An evangelist who has the work separate and apart. You know, this podcast is not a work of the church meeting here in El Paso, Texas. My website, wordsoftruth.net, is not a work of the church in El Paso, Texas. It's my work as an evangelist. Like Paul said in that same epistle to Timothy the evangelist in 2 Timothy 4, Verses 2 through 5 says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap themselves teachers, having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. 2 Timothy 2 2 is the work of an evangelist to train other men to be able to teach other also. Not a work of the church. You know, a lot of preaching schools exist because they don't understand that. <laughs> Nor do they understand that God never said anywhere in all 66 books of the Bible, go start an institution or an organization to train teachers. But that, that's the work of evangelists, not even the church. Hmm. It matters, folks. It matters. You know, there are things... And, and, and people get confused because there are things that can be individually done and collectively done. Let, let, let me make this a little bit of a simple point. Like in Ephesians 5, 19 and 20. So speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing, make melody in your heart of the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. So speaking to yourselves, I mean, that, that's not just an individual, right? That's when you're together, sing. We know singing happens when the church uh, assembles. Uh, giving thanks when the prayer happens, when the church assembles. But do you know you can sing and pray outside the assembly? I said we were going to come back to the book of James. James 5.13 says this. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing, sing psalms. Edification. Do you know that edification can happen individually and collectively? Collectively, as the church Ephesians 4, 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by, by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and every measure and ev in the measure of every part make an increase of the body and the edifying of itself in love, but also individually. When Paul was writing the saints in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and following, he says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own. So he's not talking about let no congregation. He's talking about an individual, right? 
but every man another's wealth. So look at others. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that is in the markets, that eat asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and you be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you eat asking no question for conscience sake. We're talking about the individual, right? Keep that in mind. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice on the idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake. For there is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say not thine own, but the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Wherefore, that, where you therefore eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentile, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they might be saved. I, I need to look at other, other things that I'm doing as an individual and understand what verse 23 says, all things edify not. Me as an individual, I ought to be building up other people. Exhortation. Another thing that's done collectively and individually. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider one another, provoke and love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as men or some of us, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You're assembling for exhortation in part, right? 1 Titus 2, 6, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded individually here. So some instructions in the Bible apply to the church and to the individual. The church aids brethren collectively. The church has that responsibility, like we talked about 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. But I can also aid my, my brethren. It's better to give than to receive. Acts 20, verse 35, right? I, I can aid, I can help. That's where Aquila and Priscilla do come in uh, to the discussion where a husband and a wife uh, were helpers of Paul, Romans 16, verse 3. Most instructions in the New Testament, when you think about it, do not apply to the church as a collective body. We spend most of our Christian living outside of the assembly and outside of things connected to the whole entire body. Think about how many things you fulfill as a husband or a wife or as a child, as an employee, as a servant to a master principal's uh, in similar ways. How many hours a week is the church collectively together at work versus how many hours you spend outside of that? You know, the, the Bible says in Galatians 6, 3 and 4, if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself, but let every man prove his own work and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Get, get, if you have the I gave at the office mentality, if you have the collective mentality, if you read the Bible like it's written to the church, it's not. It's not. There's 66 books in the Bible. There's, there's even the, the instructions that are, are sent to churches. Many of those instructions are talking about things that are done outside the assembly. If misunderstand these things gives that I gave it the office mentality, you got, you got to walk away from that. When you stay in the judgment day, you're not going to say, well, I was part of a congregation that did all these good works. 
And Romans 14, 11, 12 is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. You're not going to... This congregation stand before me in judgment. No. No. John 5, 28 and 29, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice. And they shall come forth, they that have done good in the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. You ought to stand individually before God in the judgment day, before Jesus specifically. He is God, Romans 9, 1 through 5. I'm just specifying, not the Father, not the Spirit, the Son. He's our judge. Judge according to His Word, John 12, 48. This lesson matters, folks. I know, I know that I've met people in the past that I've tried to have this study with, and they're like, I don't see the big deal. It's a big deal. Look at this preacher who misuses verses like Mark 16 and 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Isn't that a big deal? Do you know what the Bible says happens to you if you misuse the Scriptures? And 2 Peter chapter 3 Beginning at verse 15, it says, Account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to his wisdom given to you, has written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things in which some think hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, that means they twist, Strong's number 46, or no, uh, hold on, let me... Let me I'll, I'll look that up and, and then give it to you if you want to do a little bit of a word study on that. Um, but, but let me give you the rest of the verse. They which are unlearned and unstable rest as they do the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So I'm pulling it up here uh, real quick. It's Strong's number 47 and 61. Rest means to twist. They twist scriptures to their own destruction. What happens if I'm misusing verses? What happens when I say Mark 16 is about the church? But, no, it's not. What happens when I say 2 Timothy 2.2 is about the church? No, it's not. It's nothing to do with the collective. Nothing to do with the body. There's a scriptural separation. The work of the apostles, Mark 16, 14-20. The work of an evangelist, 2 Timothy 2, 1-4. Not the church in either case. I hope this lesson has either been edifying or challenging and most certainly for some corrective. But maybe it's left you with questions. I know when I first studied these things many years ago, I had a lot of questions. And I didn't have a lot of places to turn because the people that I knew were wrong. Maybe you find yourself in that position. Where do I turn? Listen, call me up. My phone number is area code 915-525-5794. Call me up. Let's talk about it. If I'm busy, I'll call you back. If, if I'm not busy, we'll talk right then and there. And we'll talk about your questions. We'll turn the Bible. We'll look at context. We'll see what God has to say. You can email me, brian at wordsoftruth.net. You can visit my website, wordsoftruth.net. But, but listen... If you're searching the website or you're emailing me, you know, it's going to take longer to get those answers. It's better just call me up. If you're in a foreign country, I, I brought up earlier uh, my brother in Christ, um, 
down in the Dominican Republic. We talk over Skype. We, we talk on Saturday uh, over Skype. I'm looking forward to talking to him. He, he asks me questions every time we talk. We study the Bible. We get to the, we get to the answers. I'll do that for others. Listen, I'm not going to ask you for money. I'm not going to place some kind of requirement on you. It's not going to be an argument. I'm not going to argue the Scriptures with anybody. I'm going to show you the truth, and then you take it or leave it. That's it. Now, you can ask me, wait a minute, but is that right, or is this right? What's this verse mean? What's that verse? But I'm not going to debate you. I'm not going to turn it into some kind of modern debate forum. We talk about it. We study it. We come to the knowledge of the truth. You could also study these things on your own. But hey, look, I'm offering my help. I can help expedite that. I had to study some of these things on my own. It took me years. It took me years to figure some things out. I can help you skip some years. I thank you for listening. Tune in Sunday. Boy, you talk about a challenging lesson. I think most people that are going to listen to that one are going to be challenged. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for listening.